Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bagulich. And let's get biblical. Okay. We are back in the saddle. That's right. The saddle is us and we're back at it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we're <laughs> we're excited. We're excited to be back in the studio. Uh, I'm drinking beer and Nico's drinking rye, which is like the opposite of how it usually is. Yes, that's right. Cats and dogs living together and a mazzy Christmas to everybody. Yeah. Um, I am Lauren. I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I am now an atheist. And my name is Nico, as we've established, (laughs) and I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. And uh, I'm reading the New International Version of the Bible with all of Jesus's dialogue in bright red. Crimson red. Yep. Um, I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it is not for children. Although this this episode's not going to be too bad. Well, no guarantee. When I have one or two, you know, I tend to fly off the <laughs> Um, Everyone, watch out for Nico. He's going to be cracking skulls. Not in, a, not in a violent way. That sounded bad. <laughs> Wow, I sound bad. (laughs) (laughs) The things I do and say, that doesn't make me sound good. Um, So this is the first book of the New Testament. Um, And so before we get started, I wanted to do just like brief flyover of the entire Bible. What do you think? Sounds great. Uh, I'll give you one minute on the clock. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was like, I was like, yes, a challenge. (laughs) Standardized testing. I can do this. Um, No. Okay. So we started our podcast with the book of Genesis. Hmm. Adam and Eve, uh, Noah's Ark. We had Abraham making the first covenant with God. His grandson, Jacob, was also known as Israel. And Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. The Israelites became slaves in Egypt, but Moses brought them out and into the promised land. Uh, Eventually, David became king over the Israelites. His son Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. But after Solomon died, the kingdom split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Eventually, Assyria took over Israel and deported all the Jews. That's the Assyrian exile. And the people who were deported are now known as the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel because they never came back. Uh, About 100 years after that, Babylon took over the southern kingdom, destroyed the temple that Solomon had built, deported the Jews. But after 66 years, Persia took over Babylon and let the Jews go back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. That was the capital. They rebuilt the temple. That's the second temple. And that is about where the Old Testament ends. Now, in our previous season, we didn't stop there because we read the apocryphal books of Maccabees. Um, So after they get back to Jerusalem... Mm -hmm. Uh, the Greeks under Alexander the Great take over Persia, and so now they're in control of Judah. That's fine. They let the Jews do their thing. But then when Alex Ander <laughs> dies, mm-hmm. <laughs> when Alexander the Great dies, uh, his kingdom is split up amongst his generals, and the Greeks who take over the region containing Judah, or Judea as it's coming to be known during this time, uh, They start persecuting the Jews who start rebelling. And that's what we covered in our episodes on the books uh, 1st through 4th Maccabees. After that, the Romans took over. They also persecute the Jews. There are lots of power struggles over who rules what area and whether they're Jewish or not, etc., etc., much like we saw in Maccabees. Um, And that is where we are when we start the New Testament 
at approximately the year zero. Man, that's a confusing year. Yeah. What, I mean, it must have been so confusing on like your checkbook, right? Mm-hmm. To switch from I one, like this. one BC. I like this material. <laughs> also, like, what was the airplane food like back then? Nope. Now I have some fast facts about the book of Matthew in particular. Would you like to hear them? I would love to hear them. So, people who who have been exposed to Christianity and the Bible, etc., will know um, the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. Gospel means good news. And they tell the story of Jesus's life and death and teachings. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptic Gospels, mm. quote unquote. Synoptic means look-alike. Synoptic. <laughs> and uh, so Matthew is the first one. In the Bible, and it's the one we're reading today. However, Mark was written first, and Matthew is actually largely based on Mark, while also drawing off some other sources that are now lost to us. Um, and it, it's attributed to Matthew. Obviously, he's one of the twelve disciples, but that's not who really wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was probably written around AD ninety, so about. 60 years after Jesus died. Okay. So it is not a firsthand account, which probably seems obvious to you, but um, that's like what you're taught, or at least what's strongly implied in church is that the gospels are firsthand. I see. Um, so I only relatively recently learned that that's not true. Uh, also, Old Testament, written mostly in Hebrew. New Testament, written mostly in Greek, mm. specifically Koine Greek. Which um, is common greek yeah and this was ironically the lingua franca of the roman empire not latin uh i know a a good amount of hebrew Mm -hmm. i don't know shit about greek so i imagine that at some point in the next uh, few months i'm gonna slide into the etymology corner and make fool of myself saying something totally wrong you know i got a i got a little greek tip for you what's that so a Gospel uh-huh. is translated from the Greek Evangelion. Oh, that's one of my favorite animes. Which, by my calculation, is an anime. <laughs> it's an anime. Mm-hmm. I checked, and it's an anime. Um, yeah, gospel is from, like, Old English god spell. Ooh, that's yeah. a, a musical. Yeah. Again, if my math is correct. <laughs> so this is either a musical or an anime that we're about to tell Shit, you about. This is going to be a great episode. Um, now Jesus though, probably did not speak Greek. So poor uneducated Jews, which was like most of them Mm -hmm. in Judea at this time, they would have spoke Aramaic. They would have spoken Aramaic. That's what Jesus would have spoken like in his daily life. Um, which was a Semitic language. Yeah. It's it's, It's still alive. Is it? Barely. I think, I think there's like one town left. Oh, okay. Um, it's like, yeah, it's similar to Hebrew. I can sort of recognize like certain words and and i can recognize like it has the same sort of structure Mm. um and here's the thing in real life jesus probably couldn't read (gasps) because like nobody hardly anyone could read okay but in the bible he clearly knows the scripture very well right so that would have been reading in hebrew um maybe he spoke it in real life i don't know probably didn't speak greek and the last thing you need to know about Matthew is that it is written for a Jewish audience. Okay. So he is trying to convince Jews that Jesus is like the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. That makes sense. 
yeah, so Matthew is trying to convince Jews about uh, Jesus, and that is why chapter and how one, awesome he is. That's why chapter one starts with a genealogy. There, I mean, he knows his audience. If there's one thing Jews love, a genealogy lesson. I mean, <laughs> that's what we learned from our Robo Bible. Is like, no matter what's going on, sometimes you just got to stop and take stock of who is the son of who. Got to stop and smell the genealogy. And this one goes all the way back to fucking Abraham. That's true. And then it goes down through the centuries to King David and then to Jesus's father, Joseph. Um, you may remember from like half of our other episodes that were about prophesying prophecies about the Messiah mm-hmm. that like it always says like, oh, he'll be like the from the line of David. Right. So this has to prove that he's from the line of David. And this has this organizes the generations in like a numerologically convenient way. Yes. <laughs> that, too. that like David's name has a number from from the notes that I read. Oh, I'm not aware of this, but um, that's like a big a big thing. And then there are the exact number of generations in between Abraham and David and between David and Jesus as the number of David's name. Interesting, which doesn't make sense with the timeline of the Old Testament. No, but it's part of what Matthew's trying to do, like you said, prove that Jesus is the real deal to Jews. So he does what you're supposed to do, which is cite scripture. Right. Um. And also, of course, the very next verse, we get that Mary is a virgin mm-hmm. um, who conceives of Jesus uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so, this... but so he's not even biologically related to Joseph. So right. he's like, whatever. But it's fine. But uh, <laughs> it's it, fine. It, yeah, it it's explain. fine. Adoption is fine. Yeah, that that can pass down. Like d- you can pass down your property. Despite what Lauren says, adoption is fine. <laughs> I just hate adopted kids. <laughs> I mean, I know that, but you don't have to tell everybody that the. Oh, uh, before we go any further, yeah. one thing I wanted to mention was we're doing three Gospels in a row. Oh, yeah, yeah, The big three boys. Yeah. But. We're not going to get to everything in this episode. There's a lot of stuff that's repeated in the quote unquote lookalike Gospels. So if we don't get to your favorite miracle, your favorite parable or whatever, we'll probably get to it in Mark or Luke. Yes. So cool those jets, yeah, please. Yeah. So everyone sit back down. <laughs> Unclench your fist. <laughs> and unclench your butt cheeks. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. So Mary is engaged to Joseph. I wanted to say, I only know this story from the outside. I've never read the text, obviously. It's very casual how it's just described that Mary becomes pregnant by God. Yes. The the quote in my Bible is uh, that Mary is found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Very passive. It's so ambiguous. Like yeah. It could just mean so many things. Um, and it says, like, Joseph is really nice. He's a nice man. <laughs> He's he nice. Yeah, he we know what that means, though. Want to, like... Total beta. <laughs> Joseph got cucked by God. <laughs> but he's not going to be a jerk about it. He's going to uh, divorce her quietly and not publicly shame her uh-huh. um, for her adultery. But then an angel appears to him and says, you know, stick around. This is God's son. You know, we've got... We've got a Jesus on our hands right. here. So there's a whole plan. Yeah. And that like the author, the author of Matthew, we'll call him Matthew for convenience, convenience, uh, like butts in here and directly addresses the audience and says, and so this fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah about how a child will be born to a virgin. But if you, I mean, you can go back and listen to our Isaiah episode. That prophecy is like really not like clear cut, like, oh, yeah. 
the Messiah will be born of a virgin. That's like definitely not the intention when it was written. Yeah. The goal of Matthew definitely seems to be to connect as much of this story as possible with previous prophecy. Yeah. Basically, and I we'll get to some stuff later that I feel like has to have been inserted specifically because there yes. was vague stuff in previous prophecies. Yes. We'll get to it. Um, yeah. So in any case, uh, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. That means bread house. It does mean bread house. And after his birth, the Magi show up. Now, here is one diversion from my preconception of this yes. story. Yes, and, and this is the only book that mentions the Magi. So This is the only one that does? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah, so all your preconceptions are, are just built up from tradition. They're not in the Bible. So f- the big one for me was that there is no number of Magi specified. Correct. There are three gifts specified, yes. and so people assume that there must be three yes. Magi, but it could be a fucking gaggle of Magi. Uh-huh. And in, in, like, I think Greek Orthodox churches or whatever, it's thought to be 12. Hmm, that's a good number, too. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of good numbers. What's, what's the collective <laughs> noun for magi? A school of mages? Uh, a. Of magi? A uh, protuberance of magi. A spellbook of magi? Oh, that's a good one. Um, And yeah, we're also, we're known, or we know them as wise men, quote mm-hmm. unquote, but like, that's that's a tradition. Like, magi means, you know, like magician. Sure. Um, I also read that it could mean like Zoroastrian. Mm. Um, but the thing, the main point is they're not Jewish. Oh, I see. The main point is. I didn't get that. Yeah. They're like, they're from the East. Um, but even they as Gentiles, like see that, that something big is happening. Oh, I didn't understand that. Yeah. Um, and so they, they arrive, they come to Jerusalem because they, I don't know, they like read the stars or something and saw that. Yep the king of the jews has been born so they assume that's in jerusalem and they go to jerusalem um, to pay their respects and there they find king herod this is herod the great Mm -hmm. um and he is well in real life he died a few years before jesus was born but in the bible he's still alive and ornery as ever yeah (laughs) and um so he's like he's jewish but he's loyal to Rome. Mm. Um, and when he hears about this newborn king of the Jews, he he starts getting worried that this guy might take over his throne or, you know, take over from his son. Even though he's just a fresh bapa at this point. Yeah. But like he doesn't want his own lineage to get interrupted. Fair enough. Um, That's very consistent with the Old Testament. Yeah, that is. And uh, so he tells the Magi like, oh, yeah, um, I don't really know where he is, but, like, when you guys find him, why don't you, like, report back to me so I can go pay my respects? The Magi do find him by following a star. Mm-hmm. He's a child at this point. He's not a newborn. Oh, he's a child now? Yeah. Hmm. It takes them a while to get there. I guess in those days. Yeah. That you could, there was none of the texting <laughs> of the gramming. Yeah. Very were. little was done for the gram back then. <laughs> they weren't looking it up on their GPS, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they give him the three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, mm-hmm. and that's why we assume that each magi, each magus, yeah, would... could only bring one gift. Right? <laughs> um, could be two for all, you know. It just has to be plural. That's Who a knows? Good point. Could be two. Could be twenty. Mm-hmm. They don't report back to Herod because they know what's up. So they we'll they... cover that on our mage cast. <laughs> <laughs> so then Herod. To be on the safe side, 
does the same thing that Pharaoh did when Moses was born mm-hmm. and just has all the male infants killed or whatever. Right. Males under five or whatever. And Which was there a specific reason it didn't work on Jesus? Well, because they, they run away. Oh, right. They run to Egypt. They run to Egypt mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and hide out there until Herod dies. Right. Which there's like no, like that definitely didn't happen in real life. Okay. Because well, Herod wasn't even alive. Yeah. But basically this is one of those things that it's inserted because in Hosea, there's this line that says like, God says, I have called my son out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's clearly just talking about like, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, with Moses. Yeah. But Matthew has decided that we're going to take this very literally and the son of God has to go to Egypt and then leave Egypt. Like surely I think it would be good enough if he were just a Jew because I mean like all the Jews were called out of Egypt, at least all the Jews that made it to the Holy Land. Right. Of which the line of David was was in there somewhere. Yeah. So if he's of the line of David, I think the Egypt part covered, but he's like really covering his bases. Yeah. 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 And it's also like, like there's no evidence that that the real King Herod or any of the kings like around this time had any decree like this. Mm. Um, this is probably just based on the story of Moses. And right. he's probably just, Matthew's like, hey, we're all Jews. We know Moses is a big deal. Jesus, he's kind of like Moses, mm-hmm. you know. So then they, when they come back after King Herod dies, um, they settle in Nazareth. So in this one, like... They don't go to Bethlehem for a census or whatever. It's like they're in Bethlehem. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. So. They move to Egypt and then they move to Nazareth. Cool. Nazareth probably was a real town in real life. Yeah. How's the live music scene there? Um, well, probably extremely bad because it's like a very, very tiny little village. It would be like all subsistence farmers, like no one could read. Like there wasn't even like a synagogue probably. Hmm. This is Matthew's, I guess, the only book that mentions that Jesus's father is a carpenter. Um, and the Greek word is tecton, which could kind of mean like. Damn, tecton is a sweet word. I know. <laughs> Jesus's father is like a sick ass robot. Um, but yeah, tecton could mean carpenter, but it could also mean kind of like anything that has to do with like building in a very general sense. Sure. I know what tecton means. It's not like. His dad was a carpenter as the business. Like, you couldn't go down to, like, the carpentry store oh, or understand. whatever. Yeah. It was, like, all subsistence farmers in, like, mud huts or whatever. Right. Um, but, I mean, I don't know how the music scene was. They probably had some flutes, some shofars. Nice. Probably made some drums at some point. Kicking. <laughs> that and a bucket of brews and you got yourself a party, eh? Yeah. I mean, I think they had brews. They certainly have wine. Mm. So then we're introduced to this fellow... John the B. John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Quite literally the first manic street preacher. And his deal is he like wanders around preaching. He's a classic Old Testament prophet. Yeah. Really. And he he uh, wears the same thing that Elijah wore, mm-hmm. which is like a camel hair cloak. Uh, um, clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yeah, so just like whatever he finds, whatever God provides for him in nature mm. as he wanders around the desert. We saw in the past, in like all of the prophets, what, that like there's no heaven and hell. Right. But at the end of time, there's going to be this judgment day and God is going to send on this Messiah to rule, like to make earth into a kingdom of heaven and he's going to raise everyone from the dead and sort out 
the good from the wicked and punish the good and or not punish the good. That would be a twist. <laughs> uh, punish the wicked and reward the good. Um, and so that's like John the Baptist's message is like that thing that we heard described by a million prophets. It's coming like it's about to happen in our lifetimes. You got to be ready. Yeah. It gives us a little interlude where John actually meets some Jews and gives them the whole repent or die. Yeah. And thing. this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. And to to give a very oversimplified definition of those. These are the two sects that have the most power, as we said. The Pharisees are more like middle class and they're like really into like Jewish tradition. So they want to follow like Mosaic law, but also all the like Jewish oral tradition that has built up. And the Sadducees are more upper class and they're like more loyal to Rome. So they they want to follow Mosaic law strictly, but the rest of it they don't care about. They don't care about like Jewish culture. Got it. That's a very oversimplified thing. So I appreciate that because I, <laughs> I, I didn't know. Yeah. And, you, and you'll see Jesus... He interacts more with the Pharisees because they're lower they're lower class than the Sadducees, but like his beliefs line up more with the Pharisees than they do with the Sadducees. I see. So, it seems like he it seems like the Pharisees are like his mortal enemies, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily. That's all. Understood. <laughs> so, Jesus shows up. Yes. Or quite or possibly John shows up where Jesus is. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, John's thing, the reason he's called the Baptist is because he's doing this new thing where he dunks people in the Jordan River mm-hmm. to forgive their sins. Yeah, like Jordan did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he puts on his Jordans and dunks people in the Jordan River. Dunks on fools. Yeah. yeah. And um, obviously there was – we had like ritual bathing and ritual cleansing, mm-hmm. you know, the mikvah and stuff. Um, but this is new. This is a new form of that. And yeah, yeah. nobody did it like Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like no, just no one had ever seen – Someone who could do all that basketball stuff and also eat locusts mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. All that basketball stuff. Do all of that basketball stuff. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I just need to think of one basketball skill. <laughs> and I was like, nope, don't have it. Um, okay. I appreciate you trying. <laughs> so Jesus is now an adult and mm-hmm. he shows up to get baptized. And when he gets baptized by john Mm -hmm. god pops down and says what's up to him yeah uh that's exactly in those words right and i i assume this is the first time that jesus speaks to god or it has god god speaks to him i suppose yes i mean one infers that and that's the moment when elijah real elijah i just accidentally called him elijah (laughs) oh my god well uh he would be happy about that i know but john the baptist is like oh my god you're the real deal, son. Yeah. You could go far in this game. Yeah. <laughs> God says, um, this is my son whom I love. With mm. him I am what like The clouds part and the light shines down. And he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So. And somehow the voice of God doesn't kill people in this. Well, the voice. No, it's the presence it's of the God. It's the presence okay, that okay, does. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. This one, he's, he's, this is a remote. God yeah. doing a remote. <laughs> yeah. In. He's calling in. Yeah. He's Skyping in. Um, so I read this book to prepare for this episode. Braggy, braggy with the book reading. Um, by Bart Ehrman called How Jesus Became God. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how basically like at this time there was all this political persecution happening of Jews. So there were lots of sort of revolts and there were lots of people claiming to be messiahs and leading political like movements. 
Um, but only Jesus went from being seen as a Messiah to the Son of God to also God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tracks how how that understanding evolved over you know the first couple centuries. So you can see here it's not fully evolved yet because we got that he was born of a virgin, but he wasn't called the Son of God then. This That's is true. So it's like this is the moment in Matthew when he becomes like not just a very holy man, but literally the Son of God. Right. And you'll see that happens at different points in all the different Gospels. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I have to keep my eyes wide open for that one. Yep. Well, just basically he goes out into the desert, probably like to imitate John the Baptist. Uh-huh. Or anybody else that... That was doing that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but like John the Baptist in particular is kind of like, sort of implies that he's like a mentor to him, you mm. know. And in the desert, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Mm-hmm. And that's... Where we get the tradition of Lent, where you give something up for 40 days. Um, and Was that your Sunday school teacher voice? <laughs> yeah. Now we're all going to color in this picture of Jesus on a cliff with the devil behind him. Uh, so Satan, What's that supposed to teach the kids? I don't know. How to color? We colored a lot. <laughs> it's a big part of Sunday school. Uh, so Satan comes to tempt him. Yes. And, and they get in a classic scripture battle. Yeah. And this is, uh, you can see that the idea of Satan has evolved mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. At first, it's kind of similar. Like, you could kind of see this Satan in, like, the book of Job. Um, so he's like, oh, you know, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread and eat them? Because mm-hmm. you're hungry because you've been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus is like... No, the scripture says that, like, man shall not live by bread alone. Even, like, he could just say, like, no, but whatever. He has to cite some scripture. And then the devil's like, well, why don't you just jump off this cliff? Because if you're the son of God, then angels will catch you. And just like, no, like, stop. (laughs) I don't want to do this. I know, like, I'm not into this. And then uh, here's where I think Satan takes a turn into a new character, which is he says, like, Look, here's like all this wealth. I'll give you all the wealth in the world if you bow down and worship me. Mm-hmm. And dude is like, Jesus is like, dude, like, you're just embarrassing yourself. Like, please leave. Um, but that's like something you would never see in the Old Testament. That's true. Anyway, he gets back from the desert, triumphant, having uh, beat the devil. Gets back from Burning Man, starts preaching in Capernaum. Mm, he starts his. This is would this be the start of his ministry now? Yes. And Capernaum is like the closest big city to Nazareth. So he's, you know, coming out of the suburbs, checking out the big city. Um and his message is the same as John the Baptist's, which is repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Real quick, picks up two disciples. Yeah. He's just picking dudes out of the crowd, right? Well, one assumes that he he sees something in them. Mm. But there's no vetting involved. There's probably like spiritual vetting. I mean, he probably has, you know, like holy vision or whatever. I want to see the process. You know, <laughs> I'm interested in the he nuts comes, and bolts. He comes from the planet of Tecton. He has x-ray vision. <laughs> Just can't get him near any Tecton. Spiritual tectonite. x-ray vision. Yeah. You can see directly into their soul. Exactly. Oh, see, now you're talking my language. <laughs> 
So the first two disciples are Simon and Andrew. They're brothers. Simon will later come to be known as Peter. So we call him Simon Peter. Um, they're brothers. They're fishermen. They're fishing in the Sea of Galilee, which is near where Jesus grew up. And I love this. He just walks right up to these guys and it's like, hey, I notice you're fishing. How would you like to fish for men's souls? <laughs> oh, does yours say men's souls? Uh, something along those oh, lines. Oh, I mean, because, you know, the, the way that it's usually quoted in like songs and stuff is I will make you fishers of men. Sure. But men's souls um, sounds uh, maybe a little more hardcore, but like way less gay. So <laughs> like six of one, half dozen of the other. A uh, couple minutes later, bam, two more disciples. Also brothers, also fishermen. Um, and that's James and John. And then you get this kind of montage verse where it's like, oh, yeah. And then uh, he went around healing the sick, performing miracles, uh, exercising demons, first in Galilee, that area, and then in so more and more areas. One classic origin story thing that this does not have mm-hmm. is that moment where Jesus realizes he has all these powers and has to learn how his life will change now that he has all these powers. <laughs> this origin story you mean um, in a comic book universe? Sure, yeah. Okay. He probably realized that when God, like, came down and called him his son. I don't know. <laughs> but then but then he just starts healing people. How does he know who he can heal and who he can't? How does he know how to he- heal people? I mean, he says he knows how. I mean, he, he describes exactly how he does it, in fact, you know? How, well, how does he say? Well, he just prays for it. He just prays for it. Yeah. Because there's also kind of like sometimes people just touch him and like he doesn't voluntarily do anything, but they're like healed through their faith. Right. And he can't heal anyone that doesn't have faith. Yeah. He keep, he keeps saying like you're healed because of your great faith. Even like non-Jews can get healed mm-hmm. if they have faith in him. But I'm just saying he just goes from like zero to 60. Yeah, he does. He's just a guy. There's no, yeah, there's he no. He goes to meet, meets John the Bee. <laughs> You're saying he needs an earlier montage where he's like, like his mom gets sick and he goes to hug her and she's magically healed or whatever. That's not bad. Okay. That's not bad. Okay. All right. Get DC Comics on the phone. We're rebooting Jesus. <laughs> the distinguished competition, huh? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't fucking care about the difference between those two things. <laughs> I don't know what they are and I don't care. Um, chapter five, we get the Sermon on the Mount. Well, it's actually chapters five through seven, um, where he goes up on a mountainside, delivers a sermon. It's very, very long. So it might be like a compilation of multiple sermons. Mm. Um, um, it starts with the Beatitudes, which are the famous, um, blessed are the poor for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth, blah, blah, blah. Which are beautifully written, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think they're famous for a reason. Um, and then he goes through a couple other things. Um, being mad at someone is the same as murder. Uh, feeling lust is the same as committing adultery. Uh, forget eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now we're doing turn the other cheek. Um, give to the needy, uh, but don't brag about it. Pray in private, not in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and love your enemies and don't judge lest you be judged. One thing I wanted to bring up about the Sermon on the Mount was I've never read it. Mm-hmm. I was surprised about some of some of the stuff in here that that seems from a modern light as what I would describe as you know like pretty conservative or pretty reactionary. Like what? For example, 
like his stance on lust, uh-huh. like lust being as bad as adultery. Yeah. I don't really understand. Yeah. I don't really understand that. Yeah. Like he his whole thing is forgiveness and mm-hmm. and, and mercy. But that seems like an impossible standard to hold a human being to. Yeah. There is actually, I forget if it's in the Sermon on the Mount or if it's later in this book where he says, be perfect like God is perfect. Yeah. It's like, well, (laughs) uh, I can't. So. Right. So do we just give up immediately? (laughs) Like, I don't understand. I think a lot of people over the centuries have had a lot of consternation with that. Um, And. Well, this is something that happened in therapy to me where I was talking about being raised Christian and then my therapist was like, so you thought that like your thoughts were sins, even if you didn't like commit the actions. And I'm like, um, yeah, that's literally what Jesus says. Like, <laughs> that's not like, oh, I internalized it. It's like, no, that was what I was taught very explicitly. Baby, I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Seems like a nasty way to live inside your head. Yeah, it is. Thanks for nothing, Jesus. <laughs> He's forgiven you already. <laughs> Fair enough. And of course, I mean, there's his opinions about divorce, but we're going to talk about divorce more later. Yeah. Um, for now, let's just keep moving. Yeah. Okay. So he he goes around, you know, performing more miracles. Um, we won't go into depth about them in this episode, but there's some cool ones. We'll get to them. Um, chapter nine, he catches a, a new little disciple in his Pokeball. <laughs> and that's Matthew, who supposedly wrote this book, although it's very clear that he didn't because like it'd be weird to write about yourself like this if he was a pokemon what type would he be matthew Uh, i think let's see he's a tax collector so i don't know i'm trying to like psychic type ghost type bug type maybe bug type bug type yeah i'm thinking bug steel bug steel oh my god that makes sense for no reason, but mm-hmm. it makes sense. It, it it feels right in my heart. Um, so he's a tax collector, which is very stigmatized because you're working for the Romans, right? And you're basically like they're inherently... all up in tax collectors. This whole book, yeah, the whole time they're like, he's hanging around with fucking tax collectors. Yeah, that's what happens when once Matthew joins him. The Pharisees ask him like, "Why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners?" Mm. And he's like, "Well, I'm here to save sinners." So, like, that's who I have to hang around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, performs a few more miracles, uh, and then we take a break. Sounds good. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear some music, and we'll be right back with more Sunday School Dropouts. What?
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. And I am Lauren. And we are talking about the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Uh, the first book of the New Testament. The first book about Jesus. Our man, Big J. <laughs> and uh, when we left off, he was just starting his ministry. He was roaming around gathering disciples and uh, shaking hands and curing babies. Mm-hmm. And uh, shaking babies and curing hands. And well, he may have done both. I don't know. <laughs> All of a sudden, in chapter 10, he has 12 disciples, uh, even though we only saw him catch five. And even though you can only hold eight Pokeballs at once, but he's got 12. And they are Simon and Andrew, aka Peter and Andrew, aka Peter and Andrew, brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, son of Zebedee, brothers, Matthew, the tax collector, slash. Supposed author of this book. Slash Mary Sue. <laughs> then we've got Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, different James. This one's son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus. Oh, man. A different Simon. This is Simon the Zealot. And, of course, Judas. And he sends them out to go preach his message. Like, just scatters them to the wind. Go preach my message everywhere. Um, and he has very specific instructions, which are to only preach to Jews, not mm. Gentiles. Um, don't main, waste your time with rich people. Yeah. And and don't like bring any belongings or anything. Just trust God to provide for you. Um, and main thing everyone needs to know is that the apocalypse is imminent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it gets a little cultish when he's like, you know, I'm, I'm sending you out like sheep to the wolves. Um, people are going to hate you. They may put you in prison. They may kill you, but you, you know, you just got to stay loyal to me. What, that's one of a couple times where I made a note and I was like, mm, this sounds <laughs> a little, this is very. Well, and then the next thing is he says, like, you can't choose your, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister over me. Like, you can only follow me if you like you hate your family. Right. And that's like, that's pretty classic cult stuff. Yeah. I also like when he's like, if you're in town and somebody starts to come after you. Just run. <laughs> I missed that part. <laughs> but it's good advice. I mean, it is. It's, But it's funny, though. It's like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's good advice, but, like, it's not really, you know, dominant religion advice. <laughs> it's like. Well, this is, you know. It's like cult advice. We're still we're still in stealth mode here. Sure. Yeah, that's right. They haven't gone public yet. Yeah. The IPO has not happened yet. Uh so then he, you know, he keeps going around and preaching himself. Um, he keeps getting in arguments with the Pharisees. Um, again, those are like the middle class priests who are oriented toward like Jewish oral tradition. Mm-hmm. And they see him exercising demons and they say like, oh, you're just like doing this through the power of Satan. I love that justification, which is that only somebody who was in the sway of a demon lord could exercise a demon. Yeah. And then Jesus is like. That wouldn't even make any sense. Like, how could a demon get rid of a demon? <laughs> and then he's also like, but you guys also provide exorcisms. Just to, just, to, just to be clear. And he says the line, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I thought that was a fucking Abraham Lincoln quote. I also thought that. I mean, obviously, Abraham Lincoln did use that quote, but I had no idea. Like, he, he was talking about the United States, the North and the South in the Civil War. I had no idea that the original context was like, a demon can't exorcise a demon, <laughs> you know? Um, he starts telling a lot of parables, which we're not going to go into that much this episode. Um, just a reminder, we got 
three more gospels coming up. We're yeah. going to be covering a bunch of this stuff multiple times with slightly different emphases. So yeah. if your favorite thing doesn't get covered, we will cover it in the episodes um, to come. If you're completely unfamiliar with parables, like one of the ones that's in here is like the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. So you go out with your net, you catch a bunch of fish, you throw the bad ones away, you keep the good ones. That's what God's going to do to us on Judgment Day. You know, it's just all like and just so, a little metaphorical story. And sometimes people get them right away. And sometimes people don't get them despite them being blindingly obvious. Yeah. And then Jesus goes, are you really that stupid? <laughs> <laughs> which I love and which I want to talk more about in other episodes. But um, meanwhile, John the Baptist has gotten himself into some hot water. Jada B is like the mini Jesus out there. Yeah. He's... um. Definitely like Jesus Jr. Mm -hmm. And now the ruler of the area of Galilee is also Herod, but mm -hmm. it's the son of Herod the Great. Okay. So when Herod the Great died, his small little kingdom was split up amongst his four sons. So they each now have like a really small little kingdom. Um, and so like Herod Jr. is in charge of the Galilee area. Um, and one of his brothers who controls a different fourth is Philip. And Philip stole the wife of a third brother named Herod Philip. <laughs> and this guy's got to get some new names. The, wife, the wife's name who was stolen is Herodias. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so either some some files got mixed up here somewhere and Matthew, you know, got some, some dates wrong. Or this family like, really needs to come up with some new names. So John the Baptist has been telling people that this is a sin for, you know, to steal uh, your brother's wife. Right. Unless he dies. In which case, it's a sin not, not, to. <laughs> not to marry her. Um, but so Herodias' daughter with her second husband is um, like her former brother-in-law, now husband, is Salome. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't name her by name here, but that is what uh, the Jewish historian Josephus says. Okay. Uh, and she has just, Salome has just given a dance performance for her uncle slash step-uncle, <laughs> Herod. Which is creepy. And uh, he promises her whatever she wants because the dancing was so good. And her mom, Herodias, tells her to ask for the head of John the Baptist on the platter. Because he's out there preaching against them yeah. and her specifically. Yeah. John the Baptist is already in prison um, for, like, I guess, treason or whatever. Yeah, like sure. I religious offenses. I don't know. Heresy. Yeah. But... Herod doesn't want to kill him because he doesn't want to create a martyr. Right. But uh, which is that's good kinging. Right yeah. There. The people are worried about that a lot in this book, actually. And with good reason. Yeah. Because I mean, like, <laughs> uh, it became the most dominant religion yeah. in the world. So <laughs> they really, yeah, they really fucked up on that. But uh, yeah, but he does it anyway. He has the prison guards go behead John the Baptist and bring in his fucking head, like into this nice dinner party where everybody was just like enjoying some dancing and now there's a fucking head on a platter. Um, and when Jesus hears the news, he is, of course, very sad because it was like his bro. Uh, and he tries to get some private time to mourn, but these crowds keep following him around. I thought this was a very interesting um, thing that I did not know about. Yeah. And, and instead of like being like, go away, I need my alone time. He just goes out to them and he performs the miracle of the loaves and fishes where he feeds a crowd of like 5,000 with, mm -hmm. you know, three loaves and five fishes or whatever it is. Um, and it's also where he walks on water again. We'll and one of his disciples walks on water as well. Mm -hmm, Peter. Peter's like the number one best bro disciple. Got it. Um, 
Anyway, I thought it was a, a wonderfully humanizing moment that in his grief, he's just like, I got to like, I got to get away for a little while and like think about this. But his it's already the process has already gone too far. Yeah. You know, he's already too famous. Yeah. And too important. And he just does not get any time. You think about like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, later in his career mm-hmm. when he's like occasionally you read that he would occasionally just be like, I wish I could just like, go back to my little church and just be like a reverend again or whatever. And it's like, well, it's too late. <laughs> like you'll never be, there will never be another moment in your life where you're not being hounded by crowds, either in a good way or bad way. You right. Know? But we'll talk more about those miracles in another episode, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, so now I just wanted to note this really quick that Jesus gets in a fight with the Pharisees because they say you should wash your hands before you eat. And he says you shouldn't. I know. <laughs> Um, I get what he's saying that like it like it doesn't matter for your soul whether you wash your hands but like still everyone wash your hands before you eat I'm it's just good policy it's just best practice um and then oh here's the scene where where Simon gets the title Peter Mm -hmm. um because he's like the first one to say that Jesus is the son of God and then Jesus says yeah you're gonna be the rock that I build my church on Peter means rock like petrified salt peter got it uh yeah petropolis Mm -hmm. which is rock town yeah it's rock town um and in aramaic it's cephas or cephas so like i think in some of the letters from paul we'll see he's like oh yeah i was hanging out with cephas oh that means peter cool oh and then the very next verse (laughs) the very next verse jesus is like oh yeah the authorities are gonna like persecute and kill me and Peter says, like, no, no, like, master, that could never happen. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, hard U-turn there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Poor Peter. He's just a mortal man. You know, <laughs> he's like, how are you supposed to make sense of this? All right, let's get back on to the plot. Okay. Um, chapter 19 has some very interesting stuff about divorce. In this section, the Pharisees and, and everybody on the street comes up and tries to trap Jesus in like scriptural battles yeah yeah it's like they try to like out scripture him he's like bruce lee when he got famous and he went back to hong kong and everyone wanted to fight him everybody wanted to fight him and he was like dude i'm a movie star now i'm fucking bruce lee i don't have to fight people on rooftops anymore and also i would demolish you (laughs) but anyway jesus gets in these scriptural battles including this one which is very interesting yes because he says basically like there's no divorce at all when you get married, you are becoming one person with your spouse, and you can't tear that apart. Um, and the Pharisees point out that Mosaic law does allow for divorce in certain mm-hmm. circumstances. And Jesus is like, yeah, Moses let you guys do that because he knows that people suck and are weak. But, like, that's not what God wants. Right. It was like a concession that Moses had to make. I thought that was very strange. Well, here's the here's where it gets even weirder. Mm-hmm. His disciples— Object. Not the Pharisees, but his disciples Mm. say, if there's like, if that's how it is, if there's no possibility of divorce, then it would be better not to get married. Which is like, A, seems bizarre to me because divorce was obviously like much rarer then. Right. You know, so it's like, it's not a common thing. It seems bizarre to me that anyone would formulate the opinion that like, oh, well, then there's no point in getting married Mm -hmm. when the vast majority of people wouldn't get divorces. But then the super weird thing. Is Jesus's response to that. He says, not everyone can accept this word, which, first of all, I don't 
really know what that means. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. There doesn't seem to be anything else in this book where he's like some people can accept. Level. Yeah, this is basic level. Some people can accept this and some people can't. But then he says, "For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Mm-hmm. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven." So I don't want to like equate eunuchs from two thousand years ago with like modern definitions of like transgenderness sure, sure, or sure. gender queerness because yeah, yeah. that that know, doesn't make any sense it doesn't make sense but i do think it's really interesting that jesus himself mentions that there are people who are born not fitting into the gender binary like that is not something that i expected to find that's a good point like yeah i don't really know what the definition of of eunuch m- might be uh, yeah i don't know? know what his definition is either but this is like something that i think about that I've said to you before um, that like, you know, in the book of Leviticus, it says, you know, a man shall not lay with a man. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me about that is that it proves that like even 5,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, whenever Leviticus was written, people were having gay sex. Right. Like it's not this modern invention. Like people were doing it since the beginning of time. Yeah. And so this to me is really interesting that like there has always been some type of gender ambiguity. Like, all societies have recognized some deviation from the gender binary. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't expecting to find that in the New Testament, let alone out of Jesus's mouth, you know? Right. I think it's very interesting that this is an example of Jesus being more reactionary, like mm-hmm. I said. Like, it's, it's very interesting because it's got this radical forgiveness mm-hmm. and this radical inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's like we're following God's laws, though. Yeah. Like at, at, at the same time, there's no wiggle room here. Yeah, exactly. The The barriers are very discreet and very, uh, very solid. Yeah. Like no divorce. Absolutely not. Like that's more hardline than this like 2000 year old Jewish tradition. Yes. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. So he's like, it's revolutionary in one sense. And it seems like he's rolling back concessions that that had been made in society beforehand. So it's it's simultaneously revolutionary and reactionary, which I yeah, think is it very is. interesting. It is. I don't know what it means yet. But <laughs> listeners, we're going to try to puzzle it out. <laughs> I think we we can do it. I think we can figure it out. Yeah. What I think we? we've got a handle on this. It can't be that hard, right? I got like a spare night or two this week. Yeah. yeah. We'll just sit down and work it out. Yeah. Um so now we're going to kind of start the Easter story. Mm. Um and we're not going to go into that many details about the Easter story, even though this episode is being released on Easter. Yeah. And we... Mazzy Christmas, everybody. We did the timing real bad on this one. Um, or real good. But so Passover is starting. Um, and so a lot of people are making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem um, to like do Passover sacrifices and stuff at the temple. Um, so Jesus heads to Jerusalem with his disciples. And uh, this is something that I like to point out often in three of the four Gospels. The Easter story begins with Jesus telling the disciples to go steal a donkey. And if anyone notices, just say it's for the Lord. Yes. (laughs) And in this one, I'm not sure if it's true in the other Gospels, but this is the example I was thinking of where it's so obviously. and, and, And in the story, it makes it sound like Jesus knows this, that the only reason Jesus tells them to go steal a donkey was so that he could fit the prophecy yes of the son of man riding into jerusalem on a donkey yes and in specific matthew is like bizarrely literal about this mm-hmm. because 
the um I forget which book the original prophecy that he's trying to fulfill here is from. Jeremiah uh, question mark? Maybe. That's a good that's a good guess. <laughs> it's Thank you. That's you know, probably Jeremiah or Isaiah or maybe Hosea. Anyway, it says like, you know, he will he will um approach the hill of Zion riding a donkey, riding a colt, you know, and because like that's how that style of poetry went. I think we even talked about it on one of these episodes where it's it's kind of it's just this poetic uh uh device where it's kind of like a donkey, nay, a donkey colt, mm-hmm. you know. It's like an intensifying thing. But here in the book of Matthew and I think it's the only gospel where this happens, he has them get a donkey and a colt. <laughs> Interesting. And then some people, like a, and it says like fulfilling the translation, the translation error prophecy. Yes, yeah. because Matthew, the or the author, is Greek speaking. Uh-huh. You know, he's he's not a native Hebrew speaker or Aramaic speaker. And from my understanding, from the notes, his quotes were all from the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. Yes, they're the, from the Septuagint, the Septuagint, or however you say it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and I have seen interpretations of this where like so it says. Oh, yeah, he, you know, put the blankets on the donkey and the colt and then, like, rode them into Jerusalem. And I have seen people interpret it as, like, he somehow rides both, like, he straddles them. them. <laughs> yes. Um, I assume that that's like not what like Matthew meant. Like water skiing into yeah. Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I assume that would be, like, a bridge too far even for Matthew, but it is a great image. <laughs> it is. Um, and a big crowd gathers to welcome him to Jerusalem, and they who wouldn't? He's fucking water skiing on the back. Yeah, of I know. Honestly, cold. they're like the circus is here. <laughs> um, they lay down their cloaks and and palm fronds so that the road will be soft on the donkey's hooves, um, and that's where we get Palm Sunday, which is the week before Easter. That's where we get the red carpet. <laughs> and they were like, Jesus, who are you wearing? <laughs> on the way into town, he of course curses the fig tree. Yes. I really want to get into a lot of detail about that, so we're going to save it for another episode. Okay. Once he gets into town, Jesus really starts to lay in heavy yes. onto the priesthood. This yes. is where he he unloads both barrels on him. Yes. Verbally so he, speaking. Yeah. <laughs> he goes and he kicks the money changers out of the temple. Uh-huh. Um, also, apparently, the people... Who sell doves? Yeah, yeah. So this is the thing. Like, oh, um, those are sacrifice doves. They're sacrifice doves. I didn't get it until just now when I said it out loud. Yes. And he's like, "You guys are making money off of these sacrifices that people need to make." Because that's that's for a guilt offering or a sin offering. I can't remember. I don't remember which one, but like these people are traveling to Jerusalem. They can't like carry a bunch of doves with them. Right. So they just pick up the doves when they get there. Yep. Ah, uh, that's going to make my personal traveling plan a <laughs> yeah. lot simpler. I I'll just get the doves when I get there. What all these bird cages were. Um and it's also the um the reason that they have money changers is because the coins as he says, as he points out, have Caesar's picture on them mm-hmm. and you can't have a, a graven image in the temple. So, so in you order got to change into like temple in, bucks in at order the door. to buy the doves, you have to change your <laughs> Coins for temple bucks and then buy the doves. Oh, that's such a fucking racket. Yeah, exactly. And Jesus was like, that's not, you're turning my father's house into a, a like, den of thieves. Mm, nice. Yeah. I was like, a, a thief that? place. <laughs> you know. Thief zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to thief zone. Um. So he's going around. He's preaching his apocalyptic message. He's getting in into trouble with the Pharisees. Um. 
uh, oh, one thing I do want to say is that he says uh, in chapter 24, no one knows when judgment day will come. Sure. And so you would like always have to be prepared. Yeah. But he says, no one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. Right. But only the father. Yeah. So you can see at this point, the Trinity hasn't been developed. Because, uh, that there are just two points of the of the triangle. Well, so the son is not equal to the father here. Oh, I see. I my knowledge of how the Trinity works is very limited. <laughs> so, like, it developed over the first few centuries. Mm-hmm. So here you can see, like, oh, the Son of God is like he's he's subservient to God. He's yeah, and he's like maybe above the angels, right. But still below God. But in the Trinity, as it's as it solidified a few centuries later. The Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all equal. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's that. Now, chapter 25 is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. <gasps> um, this is where we get the the sheep and the goats. Yes. Um, and he's talking about how God is going to sort the righteous from the wicked, like shepherd sorts sheep from goats um, on Judgment Day. But I really like how he defines the righteous. So he says, the Son of Man... Who's going to be doing the judging? He's the Messiah, mm-hmm. who may or may not be Jesus. It's a little unclear. <laughs> uh, in retrospect, we've decided that that's Jesus. Yes. But I think at the moment in the text, it's not 100% clear. Anyway, um, he's going to know who the righteous are because, quote, I was hungry and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Mm-hmm. And the righteous will be like, uh, I've never met you before. How did I do that? And he's like, well, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So I really like, A, that God is like identified with the least mm-hmm. of these. Like doing something for the least of these is the same as doing something for God. And I also like that it's like, I mean, I like that it's about helping the needy. But I really like the inclusion of prison. Because either it's talking about, like, you still need to help sinners, or it's talking about, like, or it's, like, endorsing political action. Here's what what that, on on that note, it's really interesting because the history in the Old Testament was Uh of a people whose religious and political structures were inexorably linked. Uh Uh-huh. Often there would be there would be a Jewish king. Yes. And it would be he would be like a priest king, basically. Yeah. And and fighting against another nation is like holy war. Yeah. But so Christianity or at least this what Jesus is espousing here, like you're saying, embracing the idea that the least of us could be in prison. Yeah. Is basically saying this is a structure separate from whatever the political environment. Yeah. Might be. Or at least acknowledges that Jews aren't like in power. Right. Although. There are Jews in power who are persecuting him. You know, they're not in the ultimate power, but like the Pharisees and Sadducees are persecuting him. But yeah, it, it, it does unlink unlink some of the stuff where in Judaism, in the Old Testament, it seemed like if you were living in a proper Jewish society and yeah. you were in jail, that you, was because... because yeah, you were bad. You were a bad Jew. And like everyone should shun you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that prison, it just... That does add a very, very interesting layer to it and, and, and a dimension that you that I don't think we've seen really before. Yeah. And I really like this because I think it's something, I mean, as we all know, as I say every episode, I'm an atheist. I do not believe in God. I do not believe in heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I think it's this first is... time I'm hearing it. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> Do we need a breakup? Um, I think this is something that I can refer to when I'm trying to be a good person and trying to help people who need help. Um, and it's like difficult or inconvenient mm -hmm. and then my natural inclination is like oh okay well i'm not gonna do that because it's hard that i can think about this as like an articulation of values if not as of you know divine knowledge or whatever and i can think like okay am i helping give food to the hungry am i you know helping the least of these um instead of just like when i sit and read this on the couch it seems nice you know i can mm -hmm. like it, I think it can help you like it can help me live those values out in the real world. And then there's no downside for me because I don't think I'm going to hell if I fuck it up. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's just a nice reminder. After that, we get the whole Easter thing. Yes. I'm going to give a real quick overview of it. Yeah. We will go into more detail about this in the next two episodes. Also, if you want to hear the story in depth and get it like all correct and stuff i'd recommend you turn this off right now get your ass to church yeah because it's easter right now mm -hmm. um so they have the last supper which is a passover seder some people don't know that um and that's the the basis for communion in the christian church where people eat a little bread and drink a little wine i love the way it's set up where jesus tells his disciples go into town and visit a certain man <laughs> and tell him to prepare our passover feast <laughs> you know what i'm talking mm -hmm. about uh, Judas betrays him, um, and he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I like how Judas doesn't do jack shit else in this book. I know. He's just like, he's named once, and then he's fucking betraying Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Peter denies knowing him three times. Judas feels guilty and hangs himself. And then uh, the Roman governor of the province, Pontius Pilate, Washes his hands of the situation because he thinks Jesus seems fine. Yeah. We'll get into that more. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is crucified. His body is put in a tomb. Comes back from dead after three days. Appears to Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. And then he appears to the disciples and then he ascends into heaven. Um, the real historical Jesus probably was crucified. Wow. That's like actually one of the least controversial things you can say about the historical Jesus. Is that true? That's because the Romans crucified so many people. It was like a hugely common way for the Romans to kill anybody with any sort of political or like disruptive sure. crime. And they would be all lined up. Like if you're going into a big city, you're going to see crosses, people hung up on them. Fun fact. Jesus was probably actually crucified. Oh, man. That's brutal. Yeah. Uh, so that's the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. Some parts redacted. We just want to say we were having a conversation during the break where we were like, we could do a whole episode on this portion of Matthew. We could yeah. do a whole episode on this portion of Matthew. And I mean, people do that. They do sermons every day on just one chapter. You sure. Know? But this isn't the Bible Minute podcast where we analyze each one minute of, of, the, of the Bible. <laughs> we go verse by verse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would you rate this book, my dear? I am going to give it eight out of ten exercised demons. Um, obviously, it's just like super interesting mm -hmm. um, and like really engaging. Not at all boring. Like certain books that I could name. <laughs> Zephaniah. 
Um, I think there's lots of really cool stuff in here, like mm, philosophy wise. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I was talking about the the least of these. How I really like that. Uh, there's also some stuff in here, like you were saying, that's uh, pretty reactionary and that uh, I don't like. But, such as, but at the very least, that's extremely interesting. Yeah, yeah. but I'm not going to give it a full 10 out of 10 wow. when it's got, you know, uh, your thoughts are sins, which like fucked up my life. <laughs> fucked up my life is an overstatement. But it did cause me a lot of uh, distress as a child. That's fair. That's perfectly fair. I'm going to give it six out of seven Gardens of Gethsemane. Ooh, the original Olive Garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hospitaliano, of course, Jesus was the first person to learn about that. Yes. <laughs> it meant something very different back then. <laughs> but I also, there was some very nice writing in it. The Sermon on the Mount is, is very beautiful. Yes. I think, especially the Beatitudes at the beginning. Um, some of the parables are kind of stupid. I feel like they could <laughs> like cut some or just rework them a little bit. They feel like they're from a different sort of background than, than some of the other writing. You know, yeah, and they might be, because um, this is drawing from you a know, lot a few of different sources. sources yeah. and, uh, most of what Jesus is quoted as saying is probably not stuff that the historical Jesus said, although some of it is. One thing I was surprised by that that really impressed me were all of the moments of humanity that that Jesus has. Yes, where he responds very honestly to things, or where it, even in his in his ministry, you know, that in this version lasts a little over a year or something like that mm -hmm. like how he gets so famous or but still reacts in believable and, and honest ways mm -hmm. which i was i was very impressed by um, yeah i think that's one of the most just like fundamentally compelling things about the gospels mm -hmm. is like the tension between jesus being divine and being human it's very interesting and i i was not expecting that really mm. i'm not sure what i was expecting it's, to me that's like the very heart of christianity so i see that is definitely what i was expecting well that's a very interesting thing to be to be the heart of christianity uh i mean like that's a that is a compelling thing like if you would were trying to sell me on it yeah <laughs> that would be a good place to start yeah i mean i think that is a selling point for for lots and lots and lots of people anyway overall quite good but a little scattershot <laughs> definitely compiled from different sources yeah. not uh not one uh single through line yeah anyway that's my rating i affirm it and i support it awesome now before we go we have one more important thing to do which is to address the elephant in the room which is actually an elephant sized mailbag that is overflowing with fresh ass mail oh i thought you're gonna say an elephant sized cat because the most important thing that we do on the show is curse cats so we have a huge amount of listener mail that's been accumulating during our break, which uh, took a lot longer than we meant it to. Usually we respond to every email individually on the air, but we're going to have to kind of round them all up today. So here are the dogs upon whom we must bestow blessings. Good old dogalog named Charlie. Uh, Rue, Shadow, uh, Duchess, who is pictured uh, gazing at a menorah, Kona, Jojo, a Dalmatian mix who looks really weird to me because I grew up, my mom bred and showed Dalmatians. And so this dog looks like it's like almost a real dog, but not quite. Uh, and also Princess Fluffy, who is actually not a dog, but a hedgehog. It's a hedgehog. A hedgehog or a chog. They, they use the uh, hashtag bless this chog. <laughs> um, so here's a blessing for them. Blessed are the canine in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the dogs, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for kibble, for they will be filled. Good dogs, everyone. In contrast to dogs who all need blessings, there's also cats who need curses. It's just their nature. It's not, it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they need curses. That's correct. Here are all the cats we need to curse. Cotton, who is white on the outside, but apparently has a black soul. Susie Q and Earl Grey for their revenge pissing and or shitting. Carlton, PK, who scratched the aforementioned dog Jojo. Ghost and Giz and Psyche, all from New Zealand. And Apollo from Spain. Apollo is uh, castrated. <laughs> the listeners said castrated, not neutered. Castrated. Okay. Poor Apollo. <laughs> so to you cats, I say, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom every cat that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> There's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth in the book of Matthew. Also, that's all cats do is weep and gnash those nasty <laughs> It is when they want a snack. Some other mail. Some other mail that we're going to go through real quick. Uh, listener Sean wrote to us with some very nice compliments. Uh, he lives in the UK and grew up in the Church of England where, quote, any genuine religious fervor is treated as highly suspicious. <laughs> Um, and says hearing about American denominations is like hearing messages from a fascinating and confusing parallel universe. Like, what the hell is a worship band, please? Oh, that's when some Christian teenagers get together and sing very anodyne Christian rock songs uh, in the middle of youth group. Our listener John wrote in to explain the phrase begs the question, and I'm not sure we got it. Yeah, that was nice of him, but it's lost on us. Uh, listener Prue wrote to us with a, con a correction uh, I called grackles corvids at some point, like, a year ago, and uh, <laughs> turns out they're actually icterids. And I apologize for not knowing enough about the taxonomic You know what? There's kind of, of a, birds. kind of a shitty tone that I don't like. <laughs> Excuse me? I have, I very genuinely wish that I knew more classification of birds. That's more like it. Thank you. Our listener Aaron, a.k.a. Anime Waifu IRL on Twitter sent us a really cool email about how he tried to use the podcast as a way to relate to and connect with an evangelical girl he was dating, but now they're broken up. So I guess we failed. Sorry. <laughs> There's no failure. Life is just moving forward okay. and learning. Uh, speaking of which, listener Sarah wrote in, uh, she was brought up Southern Baptist, which is like ooh, way worse than my childhood. Um, and she is now also an atheist. Congratulations. Welcome to the club, Sarah. Two separate listeners, both Alton and Jonathan, asked what my setup workflow is for music audio recording. <laughs> I've been asked to explain this in one sentence, which I may or may it's not do. Time, time limits, babe. One sentence. Uh, we record all of the podcast audio into Pro Tools. Uh, Faster sentence. Shit. It's not going to be one sentence. <laughs> I know. Um, I use Pro Tools and Reason for all the music. Um, I play all the instruments. Um we have a, just a, a little bit of gear and some microphones in our in our extra bedroom. We have two computer monitors. Oh, the, the monitors are not part we of the workflow. Two, they're part of the workflow. I guess so. We have we have one speakers. mouse, a keyboard. <laughs> I thought you wanted to do this fast. Okay, okay. Um, last thing, uh, listener Allison asked for book recommendations about Jesus as a historical figure. So I read three of those to prepare for this episode, and they were all really good. The first one, Allison said she already read, which was Zealot by Reza Aslan. Definitely recommend that to anyone. Um, 
I would also recommend anything by Bart Ehrman, uh, E-H-R-M-A-N. In particular, Did Jesus Exist and How Jesus Became God. But he has a lot more that you'll probably find interesting. So that is the mail. And thank you to everyone else who wrote in to tell us they like the show. And wondering when we'd be coming back. We're back. The answer is right now. You're welcome slash we're sorry. (laughs) And And we want to thank you for sticking with the show. If you're a new listener, thank you for joining. Uh, One of the things you can do to help other people find the show is obviously subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. It sounds stupid, but it's very helpful. <laughs> it's also, very helpful. Tell buddies, say what up. <laughs> Fresh Listen show. Listen to Bible show. Thank you, please. <laughs> um, we always thank Lise Carlton for our logo and Nico for music editing and sound engineering. And you know thank what? I'm just going to thank myself for doing some research. And also doing like a mediocre job of booking guests. I want to thank this bright, beautiful star over here, my <laughs> girlfriend, Lauren O'Neill. He's pointing to his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 no, but we want to thank you, the listener, for sticking with us. We are back from break. It's a pleasure to be back. Uh, we missed you all very much. Lots of love in our hearts. Lol, oh my God. We WTF. speak to you next week. Until then. My name is Nico Bakulich. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And we will see you on Sunday. Bye.